You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. And Will, it was good seeing you last Thursday when you come in. Uh, and Saturday, you know, we just got to, to hang out, eat some lunch uh, on Thursday, and then on Saturday, be fans and, and tailgate with the best of them on Saturday. It, it was fun getting to hang out with you in a different light. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's rare that I actually feel like a fan anymore because <laughs> usually I'm trying to think through things in terms of in terms of analysis and stuff like that. But you know, once you're hanging out with your family or you're hanging out with your friends and you're having a grand old time, you know that that stuff sort of goes by the wayside. So, you know, unfortunately, the the results of the game weren't better, but uh, <laughs> but certainly um, a good time always whenever you go down to Gainesville and you know seeing all your friends, seeing all your family, um, and and being able to do that, which is a relatively rare thing for me these days. Yeah, when you uh, when you tailgate with the Harmonic Woods, you you, you always win the tailgate. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that was that was the first time experience for me, and if they'll have me back, I will definitely be back because that was a good time. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun there. If my voice gets kind of crazy here, I'm just you know I am just back from a concert there, so uh, a little bit of yelling and and stuff there, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll get through it. I had to, I had to rush home. I was hot and nasty and sweaty, so showered up and ready to go for this episode. Well, that, that's good. I'm glad that you've made sure that you look presentable for the folks on YouTube because <laughs> you do have a strobe light going on with you. Yeah, the, the art shirt's throwing the light off. <laughs> oh, man. Well we'll, we'll, we'll try not to give anybody a seizure by watching this on YouTube. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, and I know a lot of people out there listen. Uh, at a metal show, Wage War, they're uh, from Ocala. So, uh, lots of people out there. I uh, know who they are. So, uh, good time. Good time had tonight. Uh, my friend Rob come down from Georgia, him and his girlfriend Hannah. So, good good to hang out with some friends and, uh, you know, get away from uh, football for an uh, hour or two anyway. <laughs> so, all right. Before we dive into a lot of what we have here, quarterback talk, uh, we'll talk about Will's favorite player, Kadarius Tony, too. And uh, what in the world's going on with this Florida defense? But before we do, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on slash Gators Breakdown. There you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's slash Gators Breakdown. Also, catch Gators Breakdown on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify, 
And when using all those services, please share, rate, review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And of course, on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Will, of course, I didn't expect uh, at Mullen's press conference on Monday, uh, you know, no quarterback was named starter between Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. And of course, didn't, like I said, didn't really expect it. You know, the only advantage would be for fan excitement. Uh, at, at this point, but uh, I can see Mullen uh, wanting to see how both quarterbacks handled this week, and I know fans are ready to move on from Felipe Franks, uh, but Dan Mullen definitely made sure to point out that it's not all on Franks for his struggles. Uh, some wonder if this is a ploy or you know, coach speak by Dan Mullen to preserve Franks uh, mentally, or, or as you have said, Will, Mullen is pretty stubborn, and uh, that can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, we sort of knew that coming into the season. That was one of the things, you know, in our over-under, one of the things I took the over-honor, I guess my bold prediction was that Franks was going to start every game. And the reason I thought that was because, A, I thought he would improve, but then, B, I thought that Mullen would, um, once he made his decision, would decide to stick with that decision throughout the year. And Neil Blackman actually today over at Saturday Down South, he was on the podcast last week, had a really good article that came out today talking about the two quarterbacks and sort of the strategy of using um, using Franks over Trask. And I thought it was a really interesting take to sort of look at, you know, if, if you look at what you're trying to accomplish this season, that Florida State game is the beacon that you have to be prepared for. And is the two weeks before that really enough to get Trask prepared for that Florida State game? And if not, then does Franks give you the best opportunity to win? You know, it's not a perfect solution, obviously, but um, if he gives you the best shot to win that Florida State game, that's really the one that's most important. And that's the one you got to prepare for, um, you know, over the next couple of weeks. And obviously you want to win against South Carolina and you want to win it. You want to win against Idaho. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're recruiting against Taggart. You're recruiting against Florida State you're recruiting against Rick, you're recruiting against Miami. And so that game against Florida State this year and that game against Miami next year are really going to have to take some extra precedent. And so, you know, Mullen is, um, I mean, the comments he's making, I, I don't think it's indicative that he's going to make a change. I mean, I, I think the the things he's saying, that he was saying that Franks and Trask graded out very similarly, I, I don't think that's true. No, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> every metric that I've looked at indicates it's not. Um, the the play where Trash threw the touchdown pass was something where you know he read the blitz and sort of moved away from it. Um, you know he threw it a little bit off balance, but still, that was a play that I think was pretty impressive when you looked at it. Just the out route he threw on his first play, where it was on time and on target before the guy broke. You know, before the guy broke out his route. So, and the th the and throw through to Tony over the middle was actually a really impressive throw. I wasn't sure he was going to get that over the linebacker, and he did. So, and how uh, about and how about checkdowns too? Well, you know, that's actually I think one of the criticisms yeah. is that the checkdowns are are really prevalent with Trash. So, mm -hmm. I don't think he's a perfect solution. I think that's sort of the. Uh, there is no perfect solution, right? I mean, we've got a bunch of puzzle pieces, none of them fit. And so, you know, Emory Jones is probably too young. Franks is not is not going to be an elite quarterback. And we've sort of been saying that all year and Trask hasn't been able to beat out Franks up until this point in the year. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where I, I know that the fans are saying, Hey, we just want to see something different, but different is not always good. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I do wonder if you go and look, look back at quarterbacks over the last couple of years who came in, in a situation like this, where the starting quarterback was struggling, how did the backup quarterback do? And Mullen is right in that there are other aspects of the offense that are struggling and guys that 
aren't necessarily making plays that could help out a struggling player. I mean, I know the first throw of the second half, it was hard for me to tell, but it looked like it might have been a catchable ball for Van Jefferson. You know, mm-hmm. he got his hands on it. I mean, it was hot. He right. sailed a little bit, but at the same time, those are the kinds of plays you got to pick up your teammate every once in a while. And and so nobody was doing that. And, and he's right. There, there were a couple of plays where, where Frank sailed the ball and, and he was picking himself up off picking himself up off the ground. Um, and that affects a quarterback's accuracy throughout the, throughout the game. Now, in no way am I making an excuse <laughs> for, for somebody who's got 22 attempts and 84 yards. That, that's just not going to get the job done. You better make that clear, Will Miles. I'm making it very, very clear. But what I am saying is, is that I'm not sure that, you know, if we're going to believe that Mullen is a quarterback whisperer and then he knows quarterbacks better than anybody, I can't imagine that if Trask was was that much better that he wouldn't have started up until this point, right? I mean, yeah. Frank's won the job in the spring. He won the job in the fall. He's won the job every week throughout the season. I, I don't know why we would think that he isn't going to continue to win the job, um, you know, week after week, unless you know, sort of what Mullen said at the beginning of the year, which was, you know, hey, unless what I'm seeing in practice doesn't translate into the game, that's when I'll make a change. So if Frank's is struggling in practice, or or he's been playing well in practice, and then that's not translating into the game the last couple of games, then maybe Mullen makes a change. I, I think. Um, Thomas Goldcamp today tweeted something mm-hmm. along the lines of, you know, that he thinks Franks will start but have a shorter leash. I think that's probably what ends up happening, and I'm not sure the people in Gainesville are going to appreciate that very much. But um, that's who their coach is. I mean, <laughs> Mullen has proven that he is stubborn. He's proven that he does not change quarterbacks on a regular basis. He's not Steve Spurrier. He's not going to rip people in and out. He's very cognizant of confidence for the quarterbacks. He talked a little bit about Frank starting last year when he wasn't ready and how that may have impacted him this year as well. And why he's not going to do that to Emory Jones. And, you know, so he's cognizant of that. And I think he's going to be taking that into account as well. Yeah. Frank's nine of 22 for 84 yards, Trask 10 of 18 for 126 yards. So 19 of 40, uh, Trask did have the one touchdown 40 attempts. You know, that's, that's a stat line that isn't going to win many games for this Florida team. And we went back to that Kentucky game and how many times they threw the ball in that, in that game. And, you know, that's not the, the stat line that's indicative of a, of a Florida win. And I know the passing attempts were high because of, of Florida being down, but that's kind of making my point there. Uh, you know, it's going to be hard to win with throwing the ball 40 times with these quarterbacks in this offense, this team, Needs to be built off of the run. You know, three three to four uh, first uh, Missouri drives resulted in punts, and, and Florida couldn't take advantage of their of what they could do on offense. We all know the passes passing plays were there, but it wasn't working. Uh, there were six throws on the first drive. Uh, the first one uh, drew a pass interference. And only one running back run on that first drive. Next drive was uh, two passes and two runs. Third drive was all all runs and a three and out. The next drive was all passes and a three and out. It really seemed like this Florida offense uh, couldn't couldn't just get, no matter what they tried couldn't get out of the rut there and uh, you know it was um, seven to three Missouri after the first four uh, Florida offensive drives and then Missouri made it fourteen to three after that and then Florida went on to pass uh, for uh, uh, went on to pass for sixteen and then run for a loss of one and then incomplete pass incomplete pass so. Well, I know it was a struggle running the ball, Will, and the Missouri defense is a good run-stopping team. I think this shows just what happens 
when you can't or don't want to run the ball and, and don't have a quarterback that can take advantage of of when the coaches are calling plays that are there. You know, it it it, put, it, it does put Mullen in a tough situation as the play caller. Do you, do you keep trusting your quarterback or do you try and protect him in the run game? And even though uh, the passes are there, so the perfect example you know, of the uh, of the court uh, of the quarterback holding the offense back. Uh, and, and leading to a benching. That's exactly what happened. You know, I think Mullen tried to put all the trust in Felipe Franks. Wasn't happening. Led to a benching. Uh, you know, so Florida's not going to win many games when the quarterback position has forty throws and P Ryan only has ten carries. Scarlett has six and Pierce has four. Uh, those numbers need to be close to be reversed in the final stat line for Florida to win most of their games. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Missouri sort of dared him to throw the ball. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, coming in, Missouri had a very good run defense, and that proved to be true. And they had a pretty bad pass defense. And I think looking at the guys flashing open that we saw being there live, um, that also proved to be true. And Florida wasn't able to take advantage. You know, I do wonder whether Mullen, in some capacity, used that game as a barometer to figure out could his quarterback actually carry him. You know, hey, at some point he's going to have to design a play, a game plan around around a quarterback who can make a throw. And if he can't do that, he needs to know that, right? So he's certainly found that out now. Um, and I would expect them to go back to much being much more run heavy against South Carolina. But South Carolina's got some guys who are out this week who you know who are in the defensive secondary. And so again, I think that's a place where Florida would like to attack. They're missing their top. They're missing their top four safeties. <laughs> South Carolina. Uh, so, so they've got a mash unit just like Florida does on the backside. So it'll be like 63 to 60. It'll look like a big 12 <laughs> game. But, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a misnomer, though, that Florida couldn't run the ball. Mm-hmm. They just didn't get the ball to the right guy to run the ball. So, oh, you know, I, was, I was going there next. Well, so I guess what what I what I wrote my article and what I think is true is that the offense has become predictable and ineffective over the last couple of weeks. And I don't know why they aren't being as inventive. You know, they struggled against Mississippi state just as bad as they did yesterday or this weekend against Missouri, but they brought out that throw from Kadarius Tony on the trick play that, that opened up the play to moral Stevens for a touchdown. You know, the game against LSU, they brought out the play where they had Lucas Kroll come across the field and throw back to Franks. Now, part of that is your guys aren't executing your normal plays. <laughs> so how can you have them execute trick plays? But at the same time, Mullen was a lot more aggressive in the first six or seven games of the year and has been a lot less aggressive really ever since the second half of the Georgia game. Mm-hmm. And, you I don't know what's driving that, but not having reverses, not having misdirection, not having things where, you know, you get the defenders out of position rather than just relying on beating them one-on-one. Those sorts of things are the things that I, you know, that, that really just haven't been there. The only wrinkle I saw in this game was they did line up Tony early in the game in a two back set and then handed it off to him and let him go to work. And, you know, had three rushes for 23 yards, but that was it. I mean, they ran a reverse, and then he ran out of that formation twice. That was the only offensive wrinkle that I saw that was anything really unique that would get somebody out of position or would get the defense get the defense worried about somebody specifically. And you know, it, it sort of goes back to you know, sort of goes back to last year where the offense was boring, and mm-hmm. and I'm okay with the offense sputtering. I just like them to not be boring, and I think I think Florida fans feel that way as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kadarius Tony does need the ball more, and I think most can agree with that. Now, of course, the ship has sailed for him to to be a quarterback. 
Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know that wasn't your point. Yeah. It's just, you know, just, uh, I've seen a lot of people bring it up lately <laughs> again. Uh, but that ship has sailed. But it's, you know, it, it is obvious he's the best player with the ball in his hands. And, you know, I've had some conversations on Twitter about him. And I think, you know, we would like to see an increased role if they want to preserve the Emory Jones redshirt. You know, we, we maybe give him some more snaps at, at the running quarterback. I think we need to see more uh trask or franks and then bring tony in for more of the, the running quarterback type of plays you know the question was asked you know how much trust is there in Kadarius tony by you know tony agalini out there and we were having a conversation there and uh with him and it says well you know looking at the season stats so far uh in eight games for tony he's got 14 rushing attempts for 148 yards for an average of 10.6 yards per rush 14 receptions for 152 yards for 10.9 yard average. So, you know, surprisingly by comparison, Tyree Cleveland also has 14 receptions, but 10 yards less with 142. So he is averaging a uh, Kadarius Tony's averaging a first down every time he touches the ball. And let's not forget, you know, we talk about trust here. He was trusted when one of the biggest plays of the year so far, when he threw the touchdown pass to uh, versus Mississippi state tomorrow, Stevens. So you know, surprisingly, that was the, the only touchdown Kadarius Tony has accounted for all season does it have a reception touchdown does it have a rushing touchdown so you know we've heard so much about this get it to list and getting your playmakers the ball well here's an offense that's struggling right now and will i agree with you know at, at times and i think the coaches outthink themselves you know it, trust may not be there but you know what he is the guy who when he touches the ball good things happen and with the with the production he is bringing and the struggles that we're seeing he needs the ball yeah i mean i think we can you know Everybody can say, hey, he needs to touch the ball 10 times, and I think that could be true. The thing I think was interesting, and really being in the game, you or being at the game, you saw it as a it – was, it was very, very stark to me. He just wasn't on the field a lot. Yeah. Like, he would jog off the field after every kickoff return, you know, just sails through the end zone, so they, they run out to the 25. And then, you know, he'd come in for a package or two every three or four drives. And so he was on the field probably less than 25% of the time. But, you know, so I kind of relate it to basketball in that Steph Curry is great, not only because he can hit threes that no one else can hit. It's because he stretches the floor and opens up things for other people because the defense has to worry about Curry. And I think the same thing happens in football when you have an explosive play. I think that's what happened last year to Florida in many ways when they lost Antonio Callaway. It wasn't just the production that they lost from Callaway. It was the gravity that he has that you have to put two guys on Callaway, which means the guy on the other side of the field has to be in one-on-one because you've committed that second guy over there. And so why he's not on the field is really what, what flummoxes me. Now, maybe it's his blocking, you know, maybe he's not a good, maybe he's not a good enough blocking wide receiver, but it still feels like you could put him out there on the edge where all he has to do is kind of pretend to block the corner. And then you run the play in the other direction (laughs) and they shade a safety over in that direction because they're worried about a little bubble screen. Um, you know, just to not have your most dynamic player on the field for the majority of the snaps is confusing to me. I mean, he averaged 19 yards a touch. He had two receptions for 72 yards. He had three rushes for 23. Again, every time he touched it, something happened. He had explosive plays, two of the three that Florida had, two of the three 20-plus yard plays. One was a 27-yard pass that set up a touchdown. One was a 45-yard pass that they wound up turning the ball over on downs, but it was down deep in the red zone at the end of the game. So, um, 
you know, he is the offense right now, and to only have him on the out on the field that that to me is the bigger thing. Mm-hmm. Like you can decide, you know, that a defense can take somebody away, a defense can prevent you from targeting someone based on the coverages that they bring out or the different things that they do from a scheme. Um, but at the end of the day, like you can still have him out there, still having him, still have him attracting the the defense, and then using that to open up other things on the other side of the field. All right, so we'll with all the, the the offense talk. Of course, our uh, good friend and colleague Bill Sykes uh, posted uh, posted the poll pretty much before uh, anybody else could. I was going to post it, but good for Bill uh, getting out in front of it too. And uh, he asked the question: Which Gator quarterback should get the start versus South Carolina? And with the final poll results, with over five thousand votes, sixty four percent want to see Kyle Trask get the start this week versus South Carolina. Twenty two percent voted for Emory Jones. And only 14% for Felipe Franks. And Will, uh, I think you did make your prediction that uh, you think, right now, I don't want to speak for you, but you do think Felipe Franks rolls out there to be the starting quarterback for South Carolina. I think Franks will be the starter. That doesn't mean I think he should be. No, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I, but I think he will. Um, I think there's some sense in doing it. Again, I think Neil, Neil Blackman sort of laid out a really good case for that. I, I think wasting the red shirt for, for Emory Jones at this point is really not. Mm-hmm. Not advantageous long term. Um, I think it's really a matter of maximizing his reps at Florida. If you want to play, if you want, if you want to start Emory Jones, start him against, start him against Idaho, and start him in the bowl game. Yeah. Or start even start him against Florida State and start him in the bowl game. You know, I mean, at, at some point, you know, if you want to make him the starter, that's fine. Get him the reps you want to get him, but you know. Do it in a way where he's playing consecutive games, not where you're putting him in for three plays in one game, three plays in another, and certainly not if that wastes his red shirt. I think everybody wants to see what Trask has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think um, the one the thing thought- I don't one thing I don't like, Will, <laughs> this whole thought of he's a gamer. We don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he hasn't played in a game. Right. Exactly. Like, There's this big thought out there that maybe he's this gamer. I mean, maybe he is, but that talk being out there as prevalent as it is kind of makes me wonder. I, I don't know. Well, again, I, I said it earlier, and and this is what I believe, is that you know there, there are mismatched puzzle pieces right now at the quarterback position that everybody's limited. Franks is limited. Trask is likely limited. We saw that a little bit when Missouri brought some real some real pressure. And then, um, and then Jones is limited just because he's younger, and and you know he may be limited as well in terms of his skill set. We really have no idea. Um, so when you have limited options at that space, I, I don't know that there's a right answer. I know that it's going to be rough if Frank struggles and he starts, but I also know it's going to be rough if Trask were to struggle and they had to bring Franks in. I mean, it's just there's not really a good solution here. I think if you're Mullen, you have to take a look at practice. You have to take a look at the season as a whole. You have to take a look at this week's practice, and you have to say, okay, who is the guy who gives us the best chance to win and put him out there? Because you do that with the running backs. You do that with the tight ends. You do that with the offensive line, right? You grade out those guys, and you'd say, hey, this is who who gives us the best chance to win. And, you know, if it doesn't translate – then it doesn't translate. Now there is, there is something to be said for, and you see this with a lot of coaches where they do tend to, um, they go into risk aversion mode. So you know some coaches won't go go for it on fourth down, even though the math said they should, because they'll get criticized for it. And so I think switching to Trask at this point is an easy decision because no one's going to fault him for doing it after the last two games for Franks. I think sticking with Franks is actually the hard choice. 
And so I'll, I'll be, I'll be kind of impressed if he does it. I don't know whether it's the right choice, but at least you'll say, you know, if nothing else, you can say that he does what he believes in and that he's going to do what he thinks is right for his program and what he thinks is right to win the game. Um, you know, I don't have access to practice to know what's okay. going on. So this is one of those where when people say, I trust Mullen, I mean, you kind of have to in this case. Right. Well, he, practice he knows and you know we saw something from from trask in this game but you know again the defenses were different by the time he came in i mean by the time you're down four touchdowns uh the intensity changes yeah i mean uh, i do want to see him start and uh, i'll go the other way i think he will and but like i said it, it's just a guess <laughs> there's no no info out there or anything like that but uh yeah i think uh of course a lot of it is what happens in practice this week and i really do believe mullen when he says Whatever happens at practice is what's gonna is what he's gonna take to him on take with him on Saturday. Uh, so you know we'll see how that goes. But I do think you know Trash deserves a shot to see what he has, uh, and um, and I think fans are ready. Fans are definitely ready. Of course, we're going by that poll. Definitely ready to see see, see that happen. But uh, you know I, I don't expect you know him to come out there and, and light the world on fire. If he was that head and shoulders above Felipe Franks, you know, he would have been playing already. But uh, I do think he can bring some things to the table that necessarily Franks right now can't. Uh, I don't know where Felipe Franks is at mentally right now. That's something we all can't, uh, you know, we can't, we can't measure there. Uh, but, you know, there are some that the thought out there. And I know Nick Delatore, who's, you know, been, on, been, 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 been with us and all that stuff and, and talking to him, you know, he's, he's, he's thought the whole time for the, uh, Kyle Trask has been the better quarterback from what he's been told, what he's heard. And look, there we go. I mean, everybody's been told something different. <laughs> I think uh, you know, when, you, when, you, when you look at it, then you, it really is just time to see it with our eyes when, you know, this team rolls out there uh, and plays on Saturday. It's opponent. It's an SEC opponent. It's a Will Muschamp defense. You know, it, yeah, they're banged up, but it's still a defense that um, you know uh, Will Muschamp knows how to draw up. So, you know, given whatever whatever happens Saturday, I think we will be able to take a lot away from the performance of Felipe Franks or Kyle Trask and how everything comes out uh, when these two guys are on there. Now, there's something I do want to see, and whether it is Kadarius Tony or whether it is uh, Emory Jones in some capacity. I wouldn't mind seeing that other second quarterback, that running quarterback, get a little more carries, and I guess you know make it easier uh, for for whatever quarterback is out there, the the one who isn't necessarily known as the runner, whether it be Trask or Franks. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've certainly talked about that a lot over the season in terms of Mullen's offenses and and what that means and how Nick Fitzgerald and Felipe Franks were kind of equivalent through the air last year and. The reason Mississippi State was able to win is because Fitzgerald put up like a thousand yards rushing compared to Franks, who was in the negative last year. And that was really the difference between the two of them. Now, you know, the reason that hasn't translated as much this year is because Franks, while he's run a lot better this year than he did last year, and he's made better decisions when he's when he's dropped back, um, you know, he's just not the guy. He's not Fitzgerald. He's not he's not gonna run like that. But Trask isn't that guy either. And so yeah, you're right. They're going to have to bring somebody in to do that. Now, whether it's Emory Jones, whether it's Kadarius Tony, um, you know, heck, whether it's Lamichael Pirine getting a direct snap back mm -hmm. there, they've done that a few times. Um, I, I just like to see something that's a little bit inventive and a little bit unique, something where Muschamp hasn't schemed for it, yeah. and something to take advantage of some of the things that people are doing. Right? I mean, you know, if they're daring you to throw, you can do things with that. That you know, you can leak out a tight end on the backside when you run a you know, run a pitch to Tony out to the right and have him throw back to a tight end who leaks out. You can do things that are creative but are relatively low risk 
if you're willing to rep them and you do it during practice and you say, Hey, this is something we're definitely going to run. So, um, you know, at, at this point, there's nothing really new that we've seen the last two weeks. And I think when you don't see anything new, when you don't keep the defense on its heels and when your quarterback struggles to throw the ball downfield, you're going to struggle to score. But, you know, this isn't necessarily a new phenomenon. I mean, they scored 16 against Kentucky. Mm. They scored 13 against Mississippi State. They scored 27 against LSU, but one of that one of those was on a pick six. They didn't score much at all against Vanderbilt till the second half. 17 against Georgia, 17 against Missouri. You know, in SEC games, they've only scored 24.9 points per game. You know, under McIlwain, the previous three years, it was 21, 24.5, and 23.6. And if you remove some of the points that were scored against Tennessee on turnovers and, you know, sort of unforced errors, the offense isn't really much better against quality teams. I mean, you know, last year you 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 take out Charleston Southern and you put in Michigan, and the season doesn't look a whole lot different. Now, Mullen deserves credit for winning some of those close games, and certainly 6-3 and three is impressive, I think, based on the 4-7 the and seven from last year. But, you know, everybody got really excited when they put up 53 against Charleston Southern, 48 against Colorado State, and 47 against Tennessee. That offense just hasn't been here. <laughs> for, the, for the last month, month and a half. And I don't think you can blame that all on Franks. I think there are systemic things, both on the offensive line, at wide receiver, and with some of the schemes that they're doing that, that are limiting them. And I think we'll probably continue to see that. You know, there are going to be some things Muschamp can take advantage of, and they're going to have to limit turnovers. They're going to have to do some creative things. And quite honestly, the defense got to play a lot better. Yeah, and that's where we'll go next, Will. But I was before just thinking of the things we've just been talking about the last few minutes. It, it's weird how seasons play out uh, different than when you thought coming in. You know, we, we thought this team would be a rely on Jordan Scott, Michael Piran, uh, Malik Davis when he was healthy, uh, and Damian Pierce. And, you know, there's kind of, you know, that running game, you know, they've relied on it at times, but not as much as I think what we thought they would. And also, you know, Emory Jones maybe being that, you know, we keep going back to it in a Tebow style of quarterback where you're not going to get those rushing yards out of Felipe Franks and or Kyle Trask. It would be another guy who could come in and get those yards. You know, it, it is funny how, how seasons play out when the uh, when what we do when we come into this season and it's a whole lot different. Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. I mean, first first seven games of the year, you're sitting there. They're six and one. You know, they lost to Kentucky, but that was early. The team has continued to grow. Um, you know, that game against Georgia, it was something where you're like, okay, we lost, but but you know, Georgia's probably the better team. We're just a, you know, we're much more productive than we were last year. And then you come out and you just lay an egg against yeah. Missouri and go, wow, I was expecting that against Tennessee or against Mississippi State when it was on the road. You know, I, the, the, the crazy thing is how poorly they've played at home this year compared to on the road. I mean, on the road, it, man. It, I mean, it's just, it, and I wonder whether that has to do with Franks and just, he's been playing better. I wonder whether it's because they feel challenged when they go off on the road, but you know, the loss to Kentucky, um, they didn't look impressive at all. Um, you know, LSU was impressive because of who they were playing, but, um, you know, the offense wasn't going up and down the field. Um, you know, and then obviously Missouri, not impressive at all. So uh, it's it's been interesting that when they've gone on the road and when they've been challenged, they played really well, which speaks well for the South Carolina game because I think everybody's going to feel challenged after coming. I can understand how the team would have been a little bit flat against Missouri coming out after that Georgia game. If they come out flat for this one, then the team's got real problems because um, there have been a lot of people on Twitter and, and other places calling them soft. 
Yeah, and where they have looked soft, Will, lately is uh, on defense. We've when we've spoken to it, and the ton of yards they've given up the last two weeks against Georgia and Missouri. And I mentioned it yesterday on the podcast. You mentioned it as well, as, uh, and, and you titled it uh, as a paragraph in your article, Third and Grantham is Alive and Well. And you know, last week it was a different type of Third and Grantham. You know, the traditional Third and Grantham has been bring a lot of pressure and that ends up leaving guys open. Well, against Georgia, they didn't really bring as much pressure as we were used to seeing under Todd Grantham, and the big plays still happened. Uh, Georgia went 8-14 on third down, and Jake Fromm, a quarterback who had struggled on third and long and third and passing situations, lit up Florida. And then Missouri went 11-18 of on third down after you know getting you know manhandled in the second half last week against Kentucky. Uh, they didn't convert a first down at all. And you know Missouri goes on to go 11-18 of on third down. So – you know, it's of course it's not just third down where this defense is struggling, but you know the the explosive plays and and, and third and Grantham is really really much different than what we were getting used to. You know, about midway through the season. Yeah, I mean it, it's been it's been a struggle certainly over the last couple of games. Um, you know, the 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 third down conversions are are a problem because it keeps your defense on the field, obviously, and if you can't get off the field, then then you got problems, but. More than anything, it was that it felt like every third down against Missouri was third and one. Mm-hmm. But it felt like they had 14 different options that we weren't going to be able to stop them. You know, the, the first down play felt like a six-yard run every time they ran it. There really weren't any negative plays. Um, I know Mullen made a point about having zero sacks. ESPN actually says they have one, but that's just because Chauncey Gardner-Johnson yeah. caught, <laughs> caught Locke behind the line of scrimmage on a read option. So that's not really a sack. They had three tackles for loss, or I'm sorry, four tackles for loss, zero quarterback hurries. Now, part of that is a function of Missouri getting the ball out quickly. But, you know, for them not to be anticipating Missouri getting the ball out quickly, for them having safeties playing as deep as they were, and then still getting beat. I mean, you know, the, there were guys roaming free all over the place in that backfield. I mean, the 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 throw to Albert O. I mean, that was just against air. I mean, that was some, there wasn't anybody anywhere near him. Um, there was a play where Trey Dean got beat, where um, you know there wasn't anybody there either. So you know, I haven't gone back and taken a detailed look at the film, so it might not be those guys' fault. But clearly, miscommunications in a couple of different cases that opened up plays for Missouri. And you know, I mean. Florida had gotten to a point where they might be able to attack in the second half, had an immediate three and out, and then Missouri came down the field, punched it in, game was over. So, you know, they gave up 6.4 yards per play. Um, that's not good, um, especially when you average 4.8 on your own. But what they did do is they gave up eight explosive plays, so eight 20-plus yard plays for 228 yards. And last week against Georgia, they gave up another eight um, explosive plays for 210 yards and you know so the defense is playing the defense is playing okay for the the plays where they're not giving up those gash plays but you know i mean when you give up eight gash plays i mean every time you give up one of those it basically leads to points so you know a 27 yard run for roundtree a 31 yard run for roundtree a 22 yard pass to albert o but it was only 22 yards because he stopped for the touchdown you know 24 yard run for crockett 41 yard pass to hall 41 yard pass to scott 21 yard pass to johnson 21 yard pass to hall i mean it was just every drive they were hitting the big play and the same thing in the second half against Georgia last week. And, you know, 
Florida was in that game against Georgia because the defense was keeping a minute. And then in the second half, they just collapsed. So, you know, I'm not sure whether it has something to do with the young secondary. I don't know whether it has to do with the injuries. Obviously, last week, CJ Henderson went out. That wasn't an issue this week. But, you know, you're still thin and you still got young guys out there. And and I'm sure that there were things on tape that Missouri saw and said, hey, we can take advantage of. And, and they did. Yeah, well, it's, it's, what gets me is just the – invisibility of the things that they were doing so well. You know, they're not getting to the quarterback. They're not sacking the quarterback. Third down defense was actually good for a stretch, uh, especially against Missouri and LSU or Mississippi State and LSU, those two back-to-back games, and you dominated on third down in those games. You were creating turnovers, and I know that kind of goes hand-in-hand with the pressure uh, that this was getting, but Ja'Kai Polite, Jabar Zuniga not getting to the quarterback. C.C. Jefferson's been pretty much invisible all season you know, after coming back from the suspension. It's kind of been a disappointing season, uh, senior season for him uh, right now. And then uh, it's just – I think that's what gets me the most is seeing where this defense was at for just a stretch around midseason and then seeing almost everything they were doing so well not really showing up anymore. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm hoping to have time to take a look at this week. I suspect that the lack of inventiveness that I saw on offense is also rearing its head on defense as well. And part of that is when you've got a limited quarterback, you can't you can't do a whole lot of different things. You know, you can't you, you can't run the entire playbook when you've got somebody who's struggling with the basic with the basics. And I think the same thing maybe applies to the defense as well is that, you know, to start the season, they have this package. Nobody really knows what they're going to get from Grantham. And all of a sudden they're freeing up guys like Polite and Joseph on blitzes and getting to the quarterback and really causing havoc. And then once you get some film on them and you start looking at them, you go, okay, this is what they're doing. This is what happens when Joseph goes here. And so this is how we exploit it. And what's the response, right? So what is the response from the defense? Um, when you do that. So there were a couple of blitzes that Joseph had where he got stoned. They were very similar to the blitz up the middle where he got the sack on from um, last week. And that got stoned a couple of times against Missouri, got stoned a couple of times against Georgia. And I suspect that the youth on defense, especially on the back end is limiting what he can do. And if you don't have any, if you don't have any, uh, um, you know, if, if you don't have any inventiveness on defense or inventiveness on offense, once people get it, get it on film, they're going to be able to figure out a way to exploit it, especially with a guy like Locke, who's got experience. So mm-hmm. that's the other thing is we have played probably the two best quarterbacks in the SEC mm-hmm. last two weeks. And, and, you know, you need to take that into account. I would expect the defense to play a lot better next week because Jake Bentley is not Drew Locke and is not Jake Fromm. But he's also not <laughs> not terrible. And so, and so I don't think they're going to get miles and miles better, but I do think they'll be better just by a function of it being not one of the two best quarterbacks in the league. And I think that's, that's also part of what we saw is that, you know, you put really good quarterbacks out there against the secondary that doesn't have a whole lot of ways to disguise what it's doing. And you're going to be able to exploit that. Uh, well, you also had another part, and uh, we're definitely going to hit it this, that all, all is not lost. Of course, you know, the, the team six and three, uh, right now, a lot of people uh, would would have taken that right at this point in the season about where I thought they would be. Uh, you know, I, I said they were going to lose to uh, probably one of uh, Mississippi State or LSU, but they ended up losing to Kentucky. I uh, thought they would lose to Georgia. You know, this is before the season. I know I picked a different. Hey, I'm, I reset my expectations as the season was going on, but you're kind of going to where we were at as expectations uh, preseason, and then uh, you know the Georgia game uh, had them at two losses, and I 
picked them to lose, you know, one of Missouri or South Carolina and, and then the FSU game. Well, I couldn't even fathom losing on to LSU or FSU right now. So, you know, uh, you know, a nine and three finish is still very possible for this team. Uh, they are going to be favored in uh, every other game from here on out uh, and have a good chance of beating South Carolina, definitely Idaho and, and, and Florida state. Um, yeah, it's kind of, you know, there, there's still something to play for given where you come from last season and that four and seven uh and that four and seven record so you know this we also said going into the season there's gonna be some ups and there's gonna be some downs and we've seen some ups and we've seen some downs so far this season uh but i think the the one thing that gets me is the 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 magical p word uh uh where was was progress for for this season we were getting it we were getting it we were getting it and then the last couple weeks it's just kind of stalled yeah i mean uh... I, I struggle with that a little bit because whether you, you know, if, if, if Franks had played fantastic and Florida had lost because the defense was getting gashed or Franks had played average and, and Florida loses because the defense is getting gashed, you know, I don't know that you have a definitive answer as to whether he's the quarterback next year or not. Right. I mean, one of the things you can say is that we probably have determined, I mean, it sounds like most people have come to the conclusion that we've, that he's hit his ceiling. And if he's hit his ceiling, then you know what that is and you know what you need to do to prepare for next year. And that's a lot of what you need to do at this point. Um, the other thing is before we worry about nine and three, we've got to worry about seven and three. True. <laughs> and so so that's, that's the other thing. And, and then I do think that the players got up for that Georgia game and, you know, the place is packed and, um, you know, they felt it when they went up 14, 13 in the second half, I think they felt like it was there. And then Georgia sort of imposed their will and they lose the game. Well, you know, then they come out to the stadium and we'll probably talk about it later, but the stadium is three quarters empty or I'm sorry, you know, 75% full. And, um, you know, it, it definitely was not a real live environment there. And they came out and they were a little bit flat and Missouri took it to them. And then Frank starts to struggle and, you know, it just sort of snowballs from there. I, I don't think that that's necessary. I don't think that the game against Missouri is representative of who this team is. Mm-hmm. I do think that the inconsistency of a team that went four and seven last year is something that we probably should have expected coming into the year. Um, obviously, I haven't been able to predict at all when it was going to happen, <laughs> but, but it has happened. And and I think that's something that, again, like you said, before the season, six and three, we would have said, yeah, uh, that's, I, I mean, I would have said that's better than I think. I, I probably would have had them at five and four at this point. Um, you know, one of those road games, Tennessee or Mississippi State, I, I'm I'm impressed they were able to get through that, um, which is why I've picked them the last couple of weeks. But, um, you know, and, and then the struggles at home and, and what exactly that is, I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, you think, hey, coming back home, that should be a safe place. That should be where you dominate. That should be where you can be off your game and still manage to win. And that just hasn't proven to be the case. So, um, the nice part is South Carolina doesn't have an explosive offense. Florida State definitely doesn't have an explosive offense. And Idaho, there should be a significant talent advantage that gives them an opportunity there to 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 get healthy and, and really have some confidence grow out of that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, Urban Meyer went 9-3 and three in his first season with, with Florida when he came in. There were warts. There were learning experiences. There were times that Leak didn't do what he was supposed to do. I remember watching them run read options with Leak, wondering when are they going to stop doing that? Like he runs for two yards and like tries to slide while getting pulled down from behind. Like it's just not going to work. And I think that's a lot of what the coaches are going to be doing over the next three weeks is really figuring out, okay, who are the guys who are going to ride with us? Who are the guys who are going to bail? 
and who are the guys that you know we can identify as the leaders for next year's team and, and really sort of take things forward and and also you know finish out the season in a way where it helps recruiting where it helps um sell the vision of the program you know we're at a place where one of the other things i think that's disappointing about the last couple of losses is at six and one you're sitting there going okay well florida state is a dumpster fire miami's really struggling you know this is an opportunity to really take advantage of this and do something special where you know historical trends for recruiting have been that you don't see these giant classes just all of a sudden coalesce right at the end if you haven't had that kind of talent you know sort of coming into the season but with all the struggles in the state of florida all of a sudden you could see see sort of a storm that would allow that maybe to happen and that just hasn't been the case now that they've lost these last two games so you know we'll see where we end up on that on that ledger but uh you know certainly not all is lost i i think this is a good but not elite team i think it's a team that needs to show up completely and focused and play well to win and when they have both sides of the ball playing playing really fairly poorly, they're just not going to have a shot. And that's what we saw against Missouri. Yeah, this is a team that's you know good enough to play with most most anybody out there. Um, you know, definitely not Alabama, Clemson, <laughs> those type of teams. But most anybody out there, we saw the LSU game. But also, you know, the way we know this team has been built, they also can can lose anybody because of the the quarterback position uh, front and center, but also you know the uh, other positions out there that uh, has not been uh, recruited that we know Florida can be recruited at. So yeah, every every game uh, from here on out definitely winnable, but also uh, besides Idaho losable as well. Uh, Will quickly, um, you brought up next year a couple of times. Uh, and it's been reported uh, that Kelly Bryant says there is interest from Florida in his services. And I know, you know, we haven't really discussed it behind the scenes or really broken down his game, but we know enough about him. I think you think it'd be a good call or, uh, or not to, to kind of kick the tires on what Kelly Bryant could do to, to transfer uh, from Clemson. I'm kind of, I'm kind of lost uh, on it. I don't have an opinion really right now, either way, uh, probably because I'm, uh, I kind of believe, uh, you know, Emory Jones was a recruited quarterback Dan Mullen wanted, went and got. Um, I think he could probably play next year, uh, get, given the circumstances, and then Jalen Jones coming in as well. So, I mean, I don't think necessarily bringing in a grad transfer. It, it hurts Emory Jones more than it would uh, recruit like Jalen Jones. Uh, but uh, I'm still uh, – would he, would he make the quarterback position better? Probably. I uh, just don't know how much Dan Mullen really wants to, you know, mold and play with Emory Jones. Uh, you know, may, I, Emory Jones is the main cog into this, I, I think, unless, you know, you really find something in, in Kyle Trask and, and roll with him uh, right now. But I think it's you know, the, the progression of Emory Jones, I think, is a key cog in bringing in somebody like Kelly Bryant. Yeah, you know, I haven't had an opportunity to go and look at his film, which I think is really um, is is really where you need to go. I, I have looked at his stats last season. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with the actual statistical profile. Now, obviously, he led Clemson to the playoff, but once he got to the playoff, some of his warts were really exposed. And I think even during the season, some of his warts were exposed. I mean, there's a reason why they went with Trevor Lawrence. It's because they think Lawrence has the ability to give him a national championship this year and gives him an opportunity to compete with Alabama. Um, and if that's the case, if, if, you know, if you think Emory Jones has the ability to approach what Trevor Lawrence can do, or even 90% of what Trevor Lawrence can do, chances are Kelly Bryant is not going to be able to get you there. Um, it, it's, 
you know, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't have any problem with them potentially going after Burrow last year just because of the timing of things. Mm-hmm. You bring in Burrow, you get him for two years, you get the competition in the room. If Emory Jones beats out Burrow in Burrow's senior year, hey, no problem. You bring in Bryant, he's playing, right? Yep. Unless it's McIlwain because he brought in a grad transfer that didn't play him. <laughs> but, but you assume. Hey, that, we call we call that one. <laughs> well, because it was a poor fit and a statistical profile said that it w- didn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I think um, the, the concern with bringing in Brian is you've only got one year yep. that – that one year really sort of stunts the growth of people. I, I think we've seen that you need to bring in a quarterback in every recruiting cycle, and you wonder whether if they start bringing in grad transfers, does that does that reduce that sort of thing? And then is he really a difference maker at the position, or is he a placeholder because you don't have anything better? And if he's a placeholder because you don't have anything better, that's fine, but you're looking at another you – know, you're looking at 9-3, and 10-2. and two. You're not looking at being um, the SEC's champion because if Fromm comes back and, and – well, I guess Fromm will come back. So you got Fromm back. George is getting stronger. Um, does he make you – you know, is, is his – I think it's a low-variance thing, right? Your floor will be awfully high with somebody with that kind of experience, but does your ceiling really get that much higher? Um, for the most part, if you're building a program, I kind of feel like you would want to go with the high ceiling guy and that's Emory Jones, that's Jalen Jones, or that's, you know, some other recruit that he can flip before, uh, before the season ends. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'll take a closer look at that at some point going forward, look at the film, see what he's doing, make sure that the eye test sort of matches the statistical profile. But, um, yeah, I, I'm lukewarm on it at best right now. That may change when I take a look, but that, that's sort of my initial initial inclination. All right. Well, before we wrap up here, uh, you also uh, wrote about, you know, the, the good time you had in Gainesville. And we we, uh, we talked about that briefly uh, at the beginning of the episode, the fun we had tailgating and all that. And then get inside the stadium and, you know, uh, the alumni side, pretty much uh, full. But, you know, the, the higher up seats and, and the student side, uh, either – Took some time to get filled up, or uh, didn't get uh, didn't didn't get filled up at all, and and, and the seats were sprinkled uh, there. And you know, some comments made by Dan Mullen that uh, we need to fill the swamp, and um, you know, the, the players feed off of that, and you're not winning championships until the, the swamp is full. You know, that, that really got a, a lot of people riled up. And you know, Mullen said similar things like that on his on his spring tour earlier in the in the spring, you know, and it, and it sounds good, uh, you know, and I, I, I was, I was there kind of behind that message is there when he was here in Jacksonville for, I think it was the first spring, the first spring event that he had, uh, you know, it sounds good. You know, it sounds like, yeah, you know, the fans need to be in there for, for us to win, but uh, it, did, it did, a lot of fans kind of took it the wrong way after you get beat by Missouri and that message is still being uh, spit out there that this team is not going to win a championship. Uh, unless uh, all the fans are in the stadium uh, roaring and 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 you know filling fill the swamp, and you know, look, I, I, I get it. You go back and look at that LSU game, and yeah, the crowd did have an effect on, on the game. Uh, but in today's climate, and not just football climate, just climate, just you know society in general, a lot of teams are having trouble selling out the the, the stadiums right now, and you know, it is cool. It's, it's the big rivalry games and the, and the big time games that. It, where every seat's full, but uh, you know it, it takes a lot now to to get a stadium full. It takes a lot now to get students into into uh, a football game that they actually care care to watch and you know not on the phone the whole time or anything like that. Uh, so there are a lot of factors going in here to to why 
you know, they're, the swamp is is not for you know the way the team has played the last decade, and as I said, just the climate in general of uh, cell phone technology and TV technology at home. You know, there are there are uh, a lot of things to point to of um, uh, of why the swamp is not full. And I think the Dan Mullen's comments, you know, that they didn't rub much people the wrong way months ago, uh, but after Saturday night, after losing to Missouri, kind of kind of ramped back up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they rubbed me the wrong way when he did. <laughs> when he made him over the offseason because I wrote something that specifically looked at. It wasn't necessarily Mullen. It was the idea that Florida's fans haven't necessarily been um, been supporting the program, and and I, and I think that's a little bit of a misguided thing. So if you look at it, Florida made thirteen point three million dollars in revenue in two thousand five, and averaged ninety thousand four hundred and six in attendance. They made twenty four million twenty four point five million dollars in ticket revenue in in 2017 and they sold a little bit less than 4000 less seats per year right so or per game so there's only one way to do that the only way you average less less people in attendance but more money is you raise prices and I, and I think they're getting to a point now where they've raised prices to a point where people have said I'm going to stay home the other thing that they've done is that they've restricted supply. So in 99 to 2004, when I was there, you could buy season tickets as a student. You needed a student ID to pick it up. But then once you got that ticket, you could transfer it to anyone, which meant that you didn't have the pool of 45 or 50,000 students in the university that you could give it to. You could sell it to anybody that you wanted. You could sell it to an alumni. Now, one of the problems with that and the reason that they, you know, I'm sure that the the company line is that they want to have students attending the game when they get a student ticket. But the reason they want to do that is because they're artificially subsidizing those tickets and lowering the overall price, right? And if an alumni can buy a ticket for 20 bucks off a student instead of having to buy something at face value at, you know, whatever, 65 or 70 or whatever the face value is of the ticket, then they make less money. So part of the reason why they're having trouble, you know, and, and students, what they would do, because this is what I did, is you would buy a set of season tickets, and then you would sell those tickets to people who wanted to go to recoup your money, and then you would go to the big games, right? And that was, that was sort of the way you did it. And at this point, the people who, the, the students who are buying those tickets are going to the big games, and they're not going to the non-marquee games. And this year, there just haven't been a lot of marquee games. Charleston Southern, Kentucky, Colorado State, and Missouri are the four games outside of LSU. They had 90,283 for LSU, which is right around where the average was under the Urban Meyer era when they were winning national championships. And other than that, they're drawing about 80,000, and that's just sort of the way it is. So I, I think it's the university could do things that would increase the attendance on that side of the field if they're upset with it. But they're not necessarily upset with it because they're making money on the alumni side. You said the alumni side was full. Mm -hmm. And so they made more money having the alumni side full than they would have opening up those tickets on the student side to potential alumni and driving down the overall ticket prices um, you know, for, for people who bought them at full price. So you know, that's a choice they get to make. It's not that I'm saying it's the wrong choice. I'm just saying that economics play a role. And when you restrict... When you restrict demand, then supply goes up, and that, and that's sort of um, the 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 fallacy in Mullen's argument is that he's basically saying, you know, he's making an argument that's not really based in economics. That you know, hey, yeah. and show up, and then we'll win. Well, that's not how it works anywhere. In fact, if you look, I've started to look back at 
at, at different teams. If you look at Florida State, in 2013, they won the national championship and brought in 75,400 fans a game. In 2014, they brought in 82,211. There's a bump after you win the national championship or after you're good. And in fact, I mean, they had teams that were ranked 17th, 23rd, 10th, and they were just sort of in that 75 to 77,000 range. It wasn't until they won the national championship that it went up to 82. So it's not just the University of Florida where fans want to see a winner. It's everywhere. And but well, yeah. to, to that point, I did find it kind of weird. You know, the team, for the most part, you know, even before this Missouri game, exceeding expectations just a week before, you were ranked in the top 10, you were at the center of the college football world. You know, some of these tickets really should have been sold well before, uh, you know, game week. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how many empty seats there were. Now, see, you'll see that next year. Like if there's excitement around the program, if Mullen can finish out nine and three, if he can beat Florida State, if he can win a bowl game, you'll see that bump next year. What you're seeing is the lag. I think what you're seeing is the lag from the performance in 2017, where fans just don't necessarily trust it's going to be an experience. You know, Missouri isn't necessarily a marquee game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I traveled quite a long way to, to to watch that debacle, and I had a good time because I was hanging out with family and doing all sorts of stuff like that. But if but, you're, but for the students, you know, that LSU game should have been a should have been a blast. Well, and, yeah, ninety thousand two hundred people showed up for that thing, right, so, so it doesn't bleed over into the next game. No, I don't, I don't think so. I, yeah. I think you know, I, and and look, I, I don't have detailed statistical numbers on the attendance for this year. I have not gone and looked at other teams, but I mean, I know Nick Saban was complaining about mm-hmm. people in the stands earlier this year, and so on that side, they're like, "Well, we win too much; we don't have to show up." Complaining <laughs> about the students. I I think what you're running into is that whenever is that when you have a limited pool of people who can go, because you're not allowing those student tickets to transfer out into the open market, you're going to have empty seats because I don't. Want want to go see Alabama play East Tennessee state and be up 48 to nothing after the first quarter. And I don't, you know, and, and if I'm, if I'm coming to watch Florida play Charleston Southern, you know, they were up big and okay. So I, I traveled all the way down there and now I'm, you know, staying for a, for a second half of seeing backups or if it's close, then, then I'm ticked off because it's close if, if, if I'm a fan. So, you know, none of this absolves students for not going. I mean, you need to support the team. Obviously, I mean, I was there this weekend. I had a great time. But um, I do think that there are economic arguments for this. I mean, I think when you look at all the major professional sports, this is what happens is there's a bump in attendance after teams show success. Um, I think the same thing happens for Florida. One of the reasons, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was, you know, in 2006, they win the national title, 2006 and 2007, they win the basketball title, 2008, they win the football title and, and attendance just skyrocketed. People wanted to come to the university of Florida, you know, again, after the championship, students wanted to come for that reason. And so, you know, it raises the profile of university and, 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 and that sort of stuff. It, it's just, you know, again, I haven't gone back and look in, look, looked in detail. It's something I might actually do. Um, go back and look. Okay, well, where was Alabama in Saban's first year? Okay, then they lose in the SEC championship game. What's their attendance look like? Okay, then they win the national championship. What does their attendance look like the next year? And Alabama's probably a little bit of an outlier because, uh, you know, just they've won so consistently for so long. But you can go back and look at Clemson's numbers and look at it too. I suspect that what we're going to see is that there's a bump in attendance after you win consistently. And, you know, there's a certain segment of the fan base that's fickle. There's a certain segment of the fan base that wants to invest that are, that wants to invest money in a winner. Um, 
whether that's right or whether that's wrong is something that people can can make up their mind. But Mullen's statement that the fans show up, then you win a championship, I don't think holds economic muster. And uh, you know, I'll probably try to prove it at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know a lot of students have reached out too, saying uh, you know the student population is much different than it used to be as well, with uh, you know admission standards and all that stuff about how uh, you know there's uh, fans who love football can't get into uh, can't get into Florida as much like they used to. So, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, my brother lives three or four hours away. If he could get tickets for you know Florida A and M for you know fifteen bucks a pop and take his take his stepson, I'm I'm sure he would. Yeah. Right. But you, but he's not going to do it for 50. Yeah. Right. He, he doesn't like, it's not worth it to him to get, to go get completely sunburned and baked on, in a, you know, on a September afternoon, you know, does that make him a fickle fan? I don't think so. I think it makes him, you know, somebody who values his money and, and is willing to, to be a discerning consumer. And, and that's really what this boils down to. You can't have a program that brings in, you know, $125 million a year and say, oh, it's not a business. It's, it's an entertainment business and you have to treat it like that. And when you continually raise prices, eventually you get to a point where some segment of the population either doesn't want to or can't pay for it. And so, you know, it, it, it was not inexpensive for our family. We had eight people go to the game. It was not inexpensive for us to go. And, you know, we're, thankfully able to do that and thankfully we um you know we think it's worth it and and i i definitely think it's worth it but not everybody agrees with me and so you know you're gonna you're gonna price people out at some point yeah hopefully that's enough uh off-field football stuff (laughs) (laughs) well that's why we save it till the end exactly yeah so if you look around this long that's where you that's where you'll get the off-field stuff i'm sure Uh, people will be mad at me i'd love to hear your comments yeah uh well, anything else? Uh, I know uh, kind of a crazy week for you coming back from Gainesville on uh, Sunday and all that uh, South Carolina preview later this week. Yeah, there will be a South Carolina preview out. Um, you probably want to bet against me if recent <laughs> history is any indication. Um, I've had people begging me to pick the Gamecocks, <laughs> so we'll see, including my brother. So we'll <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. But uh, um, no, I mean, I, I think I am encouraged to see where the program goes from here. I think one of the discouraging things about the Missouri game is it did feel like this was the first time that I thought that Mullen, you know, didn't show that he was a superior coach. I don't want to say he got out coached, but he didn't show that he was a superior coach. Um, you know, we already talked about Tony not being on the field. He sort of had the three runs to end the half down 21 to 10 when they had 50 seconds left. It just felt kind of like, okay, we're giving up. Um, they had two 15 yard penalties on the punter. Um, not, not exactly the, uh, the special teams, uh, performance the that we've funniest, seen this year. <laughs> funniest things I've seen is Townsend just, you know, head first. Boom. Oh, oh man. man. I mean, he, I mean, I, I couldn't believe he didn't get ejected, but, uh, must've yeah. got him torso or something. So, uh, you know, I mean, all the things that we've looked at throughout the year, Hey, we're going to have an efficient passing game. It's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be built around the strengths of the quarterback. And we're not going to ask him to do things he can't do. Okay. Well, that didn't happen. Hey, we're going to have a defense that's going to really put pressure and, and generate turnovers. And you know, yeah, we'll give up some big plays, but we're going to make some too. All right. That didn't happen either. And then, Hey, special teams is going to be the strength of the team. We're not going to beat ourselves on special yeah. teams. They had three personal foul penalties. I mean, there was that one drive. I think it was the last touchdown Missouri scored where they had 30 
30 yards worth of personal fouls, you know, the ball should have been at the 20. Instead, it's across, yeah. instead it's across midfield to start one play later, Missouri's down the reds down inside the 10 and, and then that touchdown, the game's over. So, um, you know, just, it was sort of a perfect storm of everything going wrong, but, uh, but it is the one time that I thought Mullen, you know, the, the team looked out of control. Um, yeah. We sort of looked at it. And so, you know, that's going to be his challenge this week against South Carolina. And and I'm interested to see how he's able to uh, to bounce back as well. Because, you know, we talk about Frank's back and bouncing back. We talk about the defense bouncing back. I think in this case, it's an opportunity for Mullen to bounce back. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how he does. Absolutely. I'll have uh, Will Gunter on uh, later this week to preview South Carolina and get a good uh, South Carolina preview there uh, for the uh, – the game, I think, uh, I get the Gators must win here, and uh, you know, good stacked up there for a for a better bowl game when it's all said and done. And got some get some positive mojo, positive momentum going into the FSU game uh, in a couple of weeks. Will anything else? Nah, man, just thanks everybody for the hospitality down in Gainesville. I really enjoyed myself, and can't wait to get back there next year. Thunder, Will, thunder. <laughs> best part of the day best part of the day dave absolutely absolutely so that's will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles sec and his site read and reaction.com i'm your host at gators breakdown david waters you can find me on twitter at gator dave underscore sec guys and girls out there thanks for listening to this episode of gators breakdown <laughs>